0: This is Tomorrow's Bite podcast, the podcast where Andres and I are diving with stunning guests into their story, challenges and opportunities, all backed by food. Allowing us all to get inspired, get more knowledge and grow. And today we talk about... To
1: produce our food uh, that has changed over the past 40 years dramatically. So then I realized, what the fuck, if I'm... If I'm eating a meatball, effectively I'm tearing down the rainforest. I think that it has been uh, influential in the way I am.
0: If you had the opportunity to influence a younger generation, what advice or message would you give? It's a
1: very difficult question.
2: Today we have a truly innovative frontrunner in the world of sustainable food with tons of experience with us. Bim the lad, the visionary leader in the world of fermentation. Bean is dedicated to transforming the way we feed the world by harnessing the power of fermentation technologies to create high protein foods, to replace animal proteins with delicious and sustainable plant-based alternatives. He understands that true change often starts with the small companies, which is why he founded his own lab, Bioscience, eight years ago in Breda and the Protein Brewery in 2019. BIM is not only a pioneer and specialist in his field, but also a champion for keeping the manufacturing industry thriving in his home region of Brabant, reaching markets spanning all over the world. A true entrepreneur with a golden heart for his home base. So without further ado, I am Andres Antonura,
0: and I am Shoko van Kool.
2: and this is Tomorrow's Bites.
0: Wim, welcome to this podcast, as many guests that we had and others would consider you as an expert on fermentation and food, but how would you describe your academic and entrepreneurial bio in that word?
1: Well, yeah, so I studied studied, uh, molecular sciences in Wageningen. Uh, I immediately saw that I was not an academic, uh, like uh, to go to an academic career, but but I wanted to work in the applied sciences. So I went uh, into the industry uh, directly and uh, been developing uh, fermentation processes uh, my entire life, actually, ever since uh, I graduated. A big desire to to get things uh, implemented in practice. uh, That's what I would say in a nutshell. And yeah, indeed, uh, already in 2010, I started my own company because I thought it was fun also to explore a little bit more uh, yeah, myself doing things that maybe cannot be done in a big company.
2: Beam uh, at the beginning of the interview, we always like to know a little about how childhood, uh, youth impacts a professional career of our guests. If you think about that, what were the personalities that saved you as you currently are? Good
1: question. I think uh, what was very impactful. So I grew up on a farm, a small farm in uh in Noord-Brabant, here in Maarde, uh, 10 kilometers north of uh, of Breda. And uh, we had a small farm with uh, both um, uh, agriculture and uh, animals. So we had everything was quite circular, I must say. Uh, it, was, uh, it was fun being on the farm, but what definitely influenced my life was the fact my father died very young. So uh, the farm was sold then uh, when I was, I think, uh, 12 or so. So we moved to another house, and then, as you know, all my brothers—they uh, had all kind of technical in, in, interests, and me myself as well. So, but being, uh, yeah, we had five children, and my mother was only thirty-one. So that you can imagine that you, you get into a, some kind of survival mode. That is maybe is, has had some influence. And uh, uh, if my father died from cancer, uh, so it also. You know, having fun in your life is very important. You learn very quick that you, it can finish pretty soon if you don't. Uh, if you're not lucky, I think that has been uh, influential in the way
2: I am. And well, this, uh, uh, thank you for sharing the story. And between these uh, early years of yours, when the interest in food started, this was when you were like you were born in a farm. So I don't know. If... Actually.
1: That's, fu- that's funny, of course. But then then uh, you don't think so much about food. You just run, think about running a farm. And, of course, the wheat we grew would go to the mill. On the mill, they make a flour out of that. That goes to the baker in your own village. And then the baker makes bread and brings it to your house. Uh, the milk we we had was going to the milk factory it was in our own village. And then they make cheese out of that, and milk and yogurt, and <laughs> distribute it. Short short change. Uh, the manure from the uh, from the animals went to the land, and so everything was really circular, I must say. But we already had a tractor, and it was already uh, getting a little bit industrialized, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I must say, uh, I still remember very well how uh, circularity uh, and uh, having short uh, lines for food production, uh, how that is done. I really know it from my first hands. Um, um, So also the work on the land, the pleasure that you have in that, and how do you do that with your family? Um, I also did some child labor, so to speak. I never... (laughs) uh, So, you know, it's fun uh, helping on the farm. Um, So in that sense, uh, I have a different view maybe than many others on on, on farming and all all those kind of things. But... uh, so from that, but let's say from my secondary school, I liked mathematics, physics, uh, uh, chemistry, biology. I all I liked it all, so I didn't, it was very hard to make a choice. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't really, when I went to Wageningen, I liked the molecular sciences much more than plant breeding or animal farming. Or So I liked uh, the molecular sciences where you could integrate all those technologies in in one thing, and uh, I went into fermentation, but not necessarily at all in food, because um, I went into, the yeah, in the industrial biotechnology, and then you make maybe ingredients, sometimes in food, sometimes in animal feed, sometimes in pharmaceutical applications, sometimes in industrial applications, uh, so the connection with food was not really uh, very intense, I was just working and developing processes and not necessarily aware of the need of more sustainable food or whatever for for many many years that only changed uh when i had bioscience actually so very recently i got the uh, interest in food came along so yeah why, why was i triggered it was in 19 uh, now 2015 in January 2015, it was uh, 6th of January, I think it was, uh, that was the uh, big uh, shooting in uh, in Paris. And there was a newspaper uh, with the shooting in Paris, uh, the, the Bataclan, um, and that newspaper remained on my desk for a week. And I was reading the Wageningen uh, advertisement, that's on the Volkskrant, uh, <laughs> the front page. You have a Wageningen advertisement, say, hey, we're gonna grow soybeans, in the Netherlands, because proteins are produced, well, our meat is produced by soybeans, proteins that are, you know, they're cutting down the rainforest in Brazil, and then we feed our pigs, and then we feed, and then we uh, we transform that into meat, and it is millions of tons. So then I realized, what the fuck, I, if, I'm, if I'm eating a meatball, if actually I'm tearing down the rainforest, that's practically what I'm doing. And I thought, can I do something about it? So um, I thought, you know, our microbes in fermentation tanks can produce protein extremely quick because they dupl- they duplicate every one or two hours or four hours or whatever your organism is capable of. But hours, not months, eh? but or weeks, but hours. And um, they produce protein. And of course, I knew about uh, the corn case in the 90s. I followed that from when I was at Geese I knew about that product. I thought, you know, that's uh, it's pretty actually pretty good idea. But can we do that also for animal feed, so that we don't need to to import soybean anymore, but just produce protein in big vessels uh, and then go to animal feed. But that was uh, um, that was that was uh, commercially not viable. So then we thought so that maybe we should go to food and not do the, the product like corn, but make a business-to-business ingredient. Uh, and make uh, fungal protein uh, available to everybody. And that was the idea. Uh, that was just like I was yeah, stimulated by the fact that uh, I was I became aware the society now has grown so big with the humans. We are uh, yeah draining so much resources to produce our food uh, that has changed over the past 40 years dramatically. When I, when we had a farm, you know, it was all very not very impactful. There were not so many uh, people, right? <laughs> and uh, we didn't eat so much meat and we, yeah. So everything has is, 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 is changed dramatically over the past 40 years. Yeah, so it was inspiring to realize that actually when you have a fermentation company like we had at Bioscience, which was only five people at that time or in the beginning, even two. And with students, we isolated the fungi from nature and we, tried, we started to explore their fermentation behavior the 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 properties and uh yeah and then we got a grant so we 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 went for a subsidy grant to get a little bit of money to explore a little bit this path and that worked out well and we got some samples produced and we uh, we we shared those samples with customers and customers liked some of those fungi some they were of awful taste, according to them, but they all appreciated the most neutral one. Uh, so we said, "Okay, well, wow, yeah." yeah and then, and then from one, uh, it, became, it became a big project, actually. So, um, so that's the journey: how we got into doing contract research for third parties, exploring with students, a nice idea, and then making it into a commercial process uh, for the protein brewery. Yeah, that was of. That was, of course, uh, an amazing journey because um, I didn't have the ambition to, to build a big company uh, because I like the science much more than running a big company. Um, but but to, to be able to do it with your own team to to generate a new process and to really commercialize that, uh, we had to raise money. So we hired a guy to to raise the money to make a business plan and and to, to raise the money to do it, actually. So and that was all just, you know, it was not, it was never a plan, it was just an evolution.
0: Actually, it was a, a journey that started with a, a trigger, right, the climate.
1: Yeah, yeah, the climate. So, you know, the, the tropical rainforest is of course an asset, which is extremely important for, our, for everybody on the planet. It's nice to go there but as a tourist, but uh, it's nice for the people that live there, uh, the Indians that live in that uh, tropical rainforest. Let's say uh, how, uh, yeah, who are we as Europeans to send them away, cut down the rainforest, and put soybean over there uh, for our meat? It's a, it's a ridiculous idea. It's a, it's a drama. So and so the only way I thought to to stop this is to make alternatives. <laughs> well, it's a naive, very naive. because I cannot stop that, but. I can uh, uh, generate alternatives, and then uh, then let's say our customers have the choice to buy something regional, regional made, or to buy soybean from uh, Brazil. So if they don't have a choice, they have to buy it. So that's and that's that was the, you know that was the idea that let's say yeah at least I found myself uh, yeah in the position and responsible uh, to act. And to do something that was in my competence and uh, with a team uh, to be able to to develop this. I felt that as a sort of uh, yeah, duty.
0: <laughs> How is then eventually like your view on all the food innovations that are coming up? Like, do, do you actually look into this? Yes, I follow it. I follow it very much, of course. I'm <clears throat> very
1: intrigued by concepts that people come up with because, uh, of course, we need something new. We need something new for energy. We need something new for mobility. We need something new for food. We are in a very, very, very special time, in my opinion, and uh, we need many, many changes. And uh, of course, there is a lot of conservatism, not only in energy market, but also in the food market. But uh, in the end, uh, I really believe that something that is more sustainable, that is uh, more healthy, that is better for the planet in in many, many ways that in the end, uh, uh will land and there is yeah of course i i read a lot and uh, uh on online mostly uh, uh, on on developments on the internet and i see concepts coming along and uh, many of them i think are totally not scalable or uh or too not affordable or are not sustainable so the only things that really will fly, of course, in the end, are those that are really scalable to a million-ton scale because otherwise it has no impact. You really have to be able to scale it to a huge scale. Uh, it has to be affordable. It has to be sustainable. You can scale things, but if it's you know, it's, it's uh, taking more energy than the current systems or producing more waste than the current system, uh, it's not going to fly. Uh, it should be, of course, tasty, nutritious, and yeah, in all the you have to tick all the boxes. That's not easy. It's also not easy for us. No.
2: I think it's a it's a general challenge within the the food innovation. Everybody wants to be the one who checks all the boxes anyway, uh, but there are limits always. Some weeks ago, we had here uh, Korean Vandenberg, that is the co-founder of uh, Revive, and. He, there's a thing that I think that you shared that is he also started a career in the science at first and then he pursued an entrepreneurial project. In, in 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 our podcast, he shared his view that science for him was not the way to create an impact because, at least not academia, not not science, but academia, no? Uh, what is your view on that? Because you also had a similar pathway, but in some way, uh, I believe that you are also between these two worlds of science versus...
1: Uh... Oh, not so much. So Koyan was really in academia, right? So he was an assistant professor. At, I don't know exactly, but... Uh, so he was in science, developing uh, uh, deep science. I was always in applied science. That is really different. So I already had impact in, uh, the, in the company uh, on developing new ingredients and bringing things, new things to the market. That was... I learned that a lot. But uh, doing this with another purpose, let's say in a local environment, in Breda for me, the purpose to create jobs because lo- a lot of the things I developed at uh, DSM were implemented in the U.S. or in China or in uh, you know abroad, very often abroad, and uh, very often in the U.S. So we lose if we lose the the, the manufacturing uh, capabilities in the Netherlands. That would not be a very good idea. So I the, having the impact to do it here regionally, uh, which is fun. I think you create fun jobs. Uh, you create new manufacturing um, uh, industry. That has an impact uh, not only on a global scale but also on a local scale. So I I uh, I like that very much to do that with the regional people from from breda or from the Netherlands they join here as a scientist and uh, uh and do impactful things so for Koyan, yes i can imagine going from academia to uh to a startup is really uh much more impactful but i was already in the industry and having impact uh, by doing my work so it's uh but now it's it's different it is uh, you go more risky you can take more risk than in a big company so Also, Corian develops very nice new things, uh, you know, which are there, Uh, create uh, new proteins from uh, circular materials. Uh, Very, very nice. And uh, yeah, and he has also the experience from his science. So he can also calculate which is scalable, which is not scalable, which is applicable, which will work. And that is important for him as well. So I don't know what Corian's age, but I'm definitely sure that I could not. Some people said, why didn't you do this earlier uh, in your career? Well, I think I needed all the experience that I have had in my um, corporate life. So I learned so much at Gisbocades and at DSM and at Nedalco and at uh, Hercules. So all that experience uh, in many, many different projects with many, many different teams, i uh, i think i needed that experience before i could uh, do this actually yeah it was really the experience itself um to know which step to take and to know why the risks are uh, what, what will work what what doesn't work how, how what is the cost of process steps and uh, how you can select the combination of process steps that will work together uh, and that is also uh, what we did in the protein brewery we we in the end we developed a completely new process uh, with all the equipment maybe sometimes yeah from different experiences from different so it, it in itself the total technology for fermenting is a completely new uh, new technology the combination at least and that is and that is uh, Unique about uh, the strains, we have isolated ourselves, and we built the technology around the talents of the strain of those strains. So that's that's how it uh, how it was done, and that was really really cool.
0: How does the fermentation process work in producing proteins, and what makes it an eco friendly choice for the future?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I cannot share all you, all the details, but when you have to make proteins. From sugar, you, have an, you need an aerobic process uh, because, uh, you know, without air, you cannot con- produce proteins from sugar. So you, you have an aerobic process. So it is different from wine or beer, which is very often anaerobic. So yeah, that's, that's one thing. And then, um, yeah, you have to stabilize uh, uh, the process. Uh, you have to kill uh, the organism. And then you, well, we have chosen for a dried ingredient, uh, I think Corian also made a dried powder uh, of his uh, protein. That is a good choice, I think, because then you can uh, ship that uh, stuff around the planet, and you have good ambient uh, logistics. Because the logistics, if you have a frozen product, you can also choose to make a, a wet frozen product, but then you have frozen logistics, which is not so sustainable. Um, uh, so uh, to to develop a drying a dried ingredient. Uh, that is that was our choice, and I think that I like that very much because that makes the application also very versatile. Because the frozen uh, product like corn has, uh, yeah, you can apply in frozen foods like chicken or, uh, or maybe go to liquids. But um, um, yeah, it, it, many many food industries are used to using flours as ingredients, and. Uh, yeah. So, and the rest is uh, is mainly uh, yeah, talk confidential information and, and and the way we we do that fermentation. So you uh, you have a nitrogen source, of course. Uh, it can be ammonia or urea or nitrate or any inorganic nitrogen source, and then you make proteins. If you do anaerobic fermentation, of, or or let's say if you, yeah, you have to make proteins. You so you need a nitrogen source, right? So that's that's also uh, obvious. Yeah, but we don't put proteins in the fermentation. Like if you make clean meat, then you have to add amino acids. Yeah, so you there is another process up front that makes the amino acids. So you really don't really, you do. Of course, you do produce uh, proteins in the end, but you produce them from amino acids, which is of course a completely different system. You cannot compare those two.
2: Yes. um and when it comes to the applications of these uh, proteins both in, in, in you you mentioned the wet uh, you mentioned the powder forms how are they cha- changing the industries like uh, how are they actually uh, immediate re- uh, pl- replacement to the ingredients that are being used now no
1: because it's not easy uh, it's not a drop in uh, substitute so to speak because uh, uh, let's say a dried micro protein uh, is available only for micro micro technologies at this stage I thought so it's it's, it's new and it makes it for application uh, people a challenge of course because then they have to develop new recipes they can't just you know the whole world is always as I said it's very conservative um, what can I replace well you can maybe replace two or three ingredients by this ingredient because uh, yeah It has completely different properties it brings uh, not only proteins it also brings dietary fiber it brings some minerals it brings uh, not much texture in our case uh, so you have to texturize it yourselves uh, but you can process it Um, so it's it's a new ingredient so it's it is new to uh, yeah to everybody and that is a lot of work to be done so we have of course a kitchen and an application team that works with customers to apply it but Surprising, because finally they have something new, right? And it's not not similar to uh, what they get, like a soybean protein or pea protein or you uh, know, nice, uh, lentils or uh, chickpeas. You know, we have something which is which is new, and that that gives disadvantages and advantages in that processing. You have to change the process much more than uh, than normally when you can replace uh, it with uh, somebody else's. Uh, protein isolate, or you see, it's it's really really, but but the scalability uh, and the availability, uh, the sustainability, we have uh, ticked all those boxes. We have a really low energy use. We have a really low water use. Um, it's not allergenic, um, so it's very inclusive. There is no religion that will exclude it. So it's um, yeah, it's an inclusive uh, um, substitute. It can be applied in, in in all all food applications actually. We cannot think of any food group where it would not uh, have a chance. It will not be perfect for all the applications, but for all the food segments. But it's it's uh, it's, a, it's quite an uh, yeah how you call it um, versatile uh, ingredient.
2: Quick one. We are amazed by the rapid growth of our group and its global reach. Additionally, we've noticed that most of our listeners don't follow us on Spotify. We'd like to propose a deal. If you could kindly hit the subscribe button, we'll tirelessly pursue our mission of bringing you inspiring stories and insights from esteemed guests in the world of food. Your support means a lot to us and will help us expand our team and bring in incredible guests to the podcast. That's all we're asking for. Thank you a lot. And now please enjoy the second part of the podcast. And when it comes to uh, I don't know, you you do a meeting maybe with with a customer uh, or uh, trying to to sell uh, the ingredients. What is the main pushback that you show? Uh,
1: well, you know, if you're a startup, first of all, they always think, uh, okay, show it uh, that you can do it because when watch so many startups, why would I think that you can do this? Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, if you uh, so have to be able to scale. Uh, you have to show that you can make the quality. Uh, so you, there is a lot of uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you have a new group, so you have no credibility. If you work at DSM or another big company, you have the credibility of the company that has a long history of manufacturing foodstuffs. Uh, that is, that is, I think, one. Uh, we have a novel food, so we have to go through novel food uh, procedure. Uh, still not finished. Uh, last questions to be answered. So it's. That was a big journey, and uh, um, it is not really pushing back, but it's just time consuming, but the fact that they have to change is always the process because you come with something that doesn't fit in right that 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 requires work, so you need quite some sample material for the people to be run to run you know uh trials on large scale, so they need fifty kilograms of product. Uh, If you are small, 50 kilograms of product is a lot, right? So, and there were no pilot plans in in, in Europe, at least, that we could find where we could make our product because technology was so different from all the others that we could not really make it in existing pilot plans. So we had to build our own one. It was very costly and time-consuming. So there was a lot of, uh, yeah, hurdles to to overcome, of course, uh, to get to... To, to, uh, to customers with uh, with bigger samples and with different samples and uh, to show that you can do it again and again and again in a very consistent way, etc. So it's you know it's it is quite a journey. And if startups think that they, you know they can do it with three batches of pilot plant material, you have to uh, produce material all the time uh, to uh, to supply uh, samples to customers. And to do an experiment again and again and to modify maybe the product also. So it's, it's a long journey. It's a long journey, it's not easy. You have to have the resilience, you have to have the capacities to do that.
0: I, I can understand that along the journey, you will have some moments that yeah, you're, or like challenges that you're facing, which gives you doubt or uncertainty, right? In your career. Um, how did you navigate it through this? And can you give an example where?
1: it's every day. Every day you have this i mean uh so every day so, so in the end you sometimes you think you know problems are solved, but every day new problems arise, right, so uh and new decisions have to be made, uh so you get used to it uh it's it's a daily routine, and I doubt uh of course, when we scaled up uh plant, um I was really curious. doubtful but curious what would be the most difficult step in the process uh of course there's always a difficult step Uh, nothing goes perfect but uh of course that that was more curiosity um uh and then uh, of course uh, having given the fact that we had a very very good team and we have a good uh, problem solving capability uh people solved the problems uh so far so uh no no very special surprises in my career you say well the steps i've made in my career i have not doubted so much i had great times at all uh, all the jobs where i was um so that the, the major step to, to go for myself that was of course a, de- a deep dive uh, can i uh, set up um, a lab with permits. Uh, can I get good people to work with me and on these topics? In the beginning, that was really a that was really a cute pivotal moment, I think, because uh, yeah, the first the first two colleagues I had were very good people, and of course, therefore, the projects we were we were doing uh, appeared to go and work. Hey, we get results. So that was maybe the most that was in two thousand fourteen fifteen. That was the most uh, uncertain time, I think. Uh, because that was uh, that was uh, demonstrating that we could do the work and we could uh, achieve results and then uh, uh, the, that was just growing and growing and growing, but uh, yeah, I think that was the most uh, yeah, risky risky step that I stepped out and started to do my own uh, company. Not many people do that. Uh, I can tell you, build a lab and uh, build all the competencies yourself in biotechnology it is a big big step. It uh, cost a lot of money uh cost uh, you have to have a lot of competence and know how to be able to do that and uh good people to yeah to to succeed in the end so it's uh now extremely happy and proud about it yeah
0: so you wouldn't change that decision
1: no 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 no, no, not at all and uh, our guiding principle was always uh to have fun in the lab, so we have a very good coffee. Very good music, and you know, if you know your you have a foam out and all the lab is dirty, and you have to start cleaning, and it doesn't happen. And it happens uh, more than uh, than you like. Uh, you have to really, you know, uh, yeah, you have to overcome not only those problems, but put on the music and start cleaning, and uh, and, uh, and 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 of course many things go wrong, and so you need extremely um, stamina, a big stamina to get this done. And to have pleasure with each other, also when things go wrong. And uh, that is very, very important. Um, uh, The guiding principle was there uh, for us always uh, having fun and keeping things simple and robust and uh, getting things uh, to work every time and um, focus on that. But the the things we develop are extremely simple and robust.
2: Working in this field for several years, uh, do you think that the positive changes that companies around us are making are on time and have the potential to turn out the actual current uh, food system?
1: Yeah, it's more political will here. So uh, it's more political will uh, of, well, it's more a choice of the the, uh, uh, I think of the food producers to stick out their neck and produce good 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 new things and put them in the market and have a little bit more guts there i think because the traditional uh so both the fuel producers and the food producers are extremely conservative they just wanted to go on doing the things they always have been doing uh, so it's it's not about the technologies uh, that the technologies are getting there um, and are available but it's more the will to implement and to start uh, putting more emphasis on it to be to have the trouble the the if products are aren't good don't put them on the market i mean if you put products on the market but people don't like they stop buying and then it stops right so uh, people should be more selective and uh, put good things and then uh, scale and make it cheaper and available for people and the price Uh, That's also for fuels and alternative energy if you don't give the good good, uh, price prickle uh, incentives financial incentives to the people to buy um, yeah it's just a political the politics they have the the, they should act in my opinion so price what is what is not sustainable and um, uh, and that's for that goes for energy but it also goes for food The way we produce food is not priced in the right way. And the true pricing uh, is is really a very important thing. So I I think we can scale extremely fast because also the technology that we have uh, developed, you can copy very quick. It's very um, easy to copy and paste. We built, I think, 100 biofuel plants in Three years in the Midwest, 100 biofuel plants to make biofuel from corn, it's, it's, a, it's a pity, but as it has been done in a couple of years, maybe in five years, millions of tons of corn is being processed into biofuel. So you can see how quick you can copy, uh, copy fermentation. The crop is already available. Huh? You can get the starch from corn. You can get the sugar from the sugarcane. Uh, in in Brazil, if you if you uh, stop uh, if you start driving electrical and the, and the, all the cane sugar that is available to make ethanol to drive cars, and you stop doing that, and all the sugar is converted into protein, yeah, it's amazing how much protein you can produce. So that the whole infrastructure is already there. You have to build a little bit different fermenters and a different downstream processing, but the whole infrastructure for cane processing for cane sugar extraction is already there so it, you can produce extremely quick um the uh, the, the proteins by fermentation
2: but the, however you, you i think you mentioned that uh, these this change cannot happen first without uh, the political action no? as, as, as you mentioned the, but on the other side i see uh, that a lot of people that belong to the alternative protein landscape are concerned that, of course, they're missing this action. But at the same time, there is a gr- big amount of companies that are appearing within, the, yeah, the, this landscape as well, as, as we mentioned. And one of the main concerns that they showed is that maybe we like they're growing up the bubble too much that it's gonna burst before it can have an impact. Do you think that the situation is that bad, or is, or is it? Uh, uh, people is apocalyptic.
1: <laughs> no, it will not happen. It's, no, it is. It's the same with biofuels. And there was also a big hype on biofuels in the early uh, 2010, etc. Everybody was into biofuels, bioethanol. Everybody was. There was also a big bubble, and everybody. But in the end, some concepts will uh, survive, and uh, and it's only two percent or three percent, maybe. Uh, but. um um, so it will it and those technologies that have been developed are then very often applied in a different field. Uh, but in the protein space, absolutely, there's a lot, a lot of bu- bubble now. Uh, the of course uh, uh, some big brands and if they uh, collapse, uh, like Beyond Meat, who is of course a very big uh, role model there. Uh, shares were very, very high, but I think they grew a little bit too fast. That's my that's my view on it. They expanded to Europe while you know then have sourcing problems and make too much different a, a too big uh, maybe portfolio of products so some of them were maybe not as good as so um, so the whole value chain has to grow fast all the ingredients in the right ratio if you have 20 ingredients and you want to scale a product with 20 ingredients and you want to tenfold that business all the ten you know, all those ingredients have to uh, multiply by a factor 10, right? That is not easy, because uh, not all those ingredient providers uh, can scale that fast. So then, that's that's I think uh, a typical uh, lesson uh, to to learn: to have simple ingredients and make some very nice cooking out of those simple ingredients, and then uh, and ensure that you can scale this and 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 do this uh, also in different geographies. And the next thing is. Uh, every geography has its own tastes preferences so you cannot go with one formula to the whole world I think yeah, maybe, maybe McDonald's can but um, uh, then you get into uh, the fast food kind of uh, world um, So, but maybe it would be good that we have much less products but very good products so a good plant based burger a good plant based chicken and a good uh, plant based uh, a few and not 10 or 20. There there needs to be a reduction and then stick to the things that you do good do do good and scale them and make them cheaper and more affordable and better better should be delicious. It's my idea and of course everybody wants to have a, a play in the protein space but it's yeah many people are uh, yeah maybe uh, taking a little bit too much of a gamble there yeah
0: if you had the opportunity to influence a younger generation, what advice or message would you impart and to inspire and to make a difference in this world?
1: Oh, wow. It's a, it's a very, difficult question. This, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, to, you know, if we, if, if I could inspire people there, well, you need a little bit of learning uh, to do experience. You need a little bit of experience to understand a little bit. Uh, I think uh, a project, a technology project, that's one thing. You need a little bit of experience, I think. And, that's, and then next to that, uh, yeah, I think the startup landscape is very interesting for people. And I've learned that people have fun uh, working at the protein brewery, working at bioscience. When we have, they get a lot of. Uh, responsibilities they uh, and they can and they can uh, deal with it uh, given the fact uh, yeah that we did it and uh, and I've seen it that people can really uh, do very big things right from school but they have to i think uh, s- uh, look for combination as also does with the experience and young people to um because if you uh, yeah, if you don't do that, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, I, I don't know, by the way, but maybe also the corporates have changed their way of uh, operating, but very things are, you know, they are really fixed. Uh, so uh, you cannot go beyond the, the, the procedures and the business. Uh, so it's, yeah, startup land is really nice. It's really nice. I think uh, it's just, it provides freedom. It provides impact. You have much more impact on your own daily work directly uh, you can make the choices, you can make the difference. And it's extremely fun for people to do. Um, we can do big things very, very, uh, maybe very fast also. And that makes fun because then you can see that things materialize and that's, that's inspirational. Let's see, you see that things really are, uh, are happening.
2: Look into the own future of the protein Brewery. What is your long-term vision with it, and the impact that you would like to have in the food industry and the environment as a goal?
1: I think it's a start of a journey. So it's we have a first product now, uh, which is a dried ingredient, and you will see that you get an innovation funnel behind that. So all kind of products will be derived from that. It's a new scalable source. So it's it's really the beginning of a journey and. Uh, I have no clue where that will end. As, as I said, I didn't have a plan when I started my company. I just looked at what was needed in the, in the outside world, working with people that helped me out getting things done. And and and, uh, and now again, the protein brewery, I don't have a clue uh, whether it will remain small here, local or it will be copied. We had the idea of copying this concept around the world. Right. So uh, uh, also in Africa with cassava or corn, you can, you can increase the nutritional uh, yield per hectare by a factor of 10 in, in Africa. Uh, if you know the need for sustainable protein in Africa in the future, you know, that's going to be a huge, huge. Uh, so whether it will land there, whether I can help still uh, to, to bring it over there, I would really love to. But, you know, you need means, you need money to do that, you need people to work with you, you cannot do it alone. So, yeah, you need teams of people. And then I think, you know, I think it would be, if we would have some kind of funding from United Nations or from a country who says, you know, I believe in this story, here you have the money to build the plant, uh, and you have the money to have, you know, five uh, wagening engineers and uh, do the job and build the first of a kind, and the rest we will buy ourselves, build ourselves. We don't, we will not make any money on that. But it's not the purpose to make that money, but it's the purpose to have the fun and to be able to roll it out to geographies where it has even more impact because we have proteins enough in the Netherlands. We ship out a lot of proteins to the rest of the world. So uh, the impact of our work actually is much more, I think, in Africa and Asia. Where they have a lot of people and less land, well, Africa has a lot of land, but less water. So it's, um, yeah, and so if you look at uh, the impact of our technology it can be even more in, uh, in Asia and in, uh, and in Africa, I think. yeah, so that's, that's maybe a future. Uh, the protein brewery will not have, as a, that have, have that as a business focus because it's just aimed of course, they have to survive and make money in the Western world. But for me as a founder and for me as a uh, yeah as a, what is what was my desire as also I've been in Africa and I, I like that country. Um it's uh but uh, yeah uh, I can I think it can have a big impact over there. And then and then we have changed a little bit because the process as we have made it is is rather simple. Uh I think. Well it's it's not simple at all, but it's you know, once you have the computer program and you have every, everything. Uh, set up it's easy to copy and easy to execute um, uh, it's a dream but uh, I hope it will land some you know sometime and I would love to, to do that project with some young people and go there and you know have uh, a good life uh, with uh, getting, getting, getting this started yeah would really be a dream
0: it's a very nice well, mostly personal mission and vision that you have. Uh, with, and uh, I think it's uh, the impact is also needed there. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you can do it. It is possible.
1: Yeah, maybe it's that's that it would be 50 years from now. So maybe I will not be able to do it. But at least if I can now uh, train young people uh, how the work is, uh, huh? yeah, how the process works and how to, how to do this, uh, then you can do it with a group easily and the young people have the future, of course. And I, I'm only 61, so I will last uh, a couple of decades, hopefully. But, uh, uh, but you know, it's, it may be the impact uh, when it's really needed. You, know, you see global warming, you see climate change, so you have to have other energy-efficient systems. Oh, we have that. We have a unique process with a very, very high energy efficiency. So you can really show the impact. Uh, we can now demonstrate it to investors. And they see it and, and uh, they can actually see it. It's not only talking, but you can see it. And that is, that is really helpful. That is really helpful. But we have got through this, not only for the customers that can see that you can produce it, but also to investors that you can see it, that is really efficient. And, uh, that's, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the next step. Now that we are
0: at the moment where we are now. So we have a new tradition to this podcast and that is that our previous guest leaves a question to our next guest. And our previous guest left the question to you and it's the following question. If you would wake up tomorrow and unlearned of all your skills that you have built over the years, but you could choose to keep only one skill. Which skill would you keep, and why
1: oh, oh, oh that's a very difficult question um, uh, well I don't know whether that's a skill, but I think my endurance my I don't know, my stamina i uh, I would love to keep that because uh, and, and it's really not maybe trainable, but it's a talent maybe uh, uh, but yeah um, well at least uh, my 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 yeah and my creativity but it's also maybe a talent not a skill uh, <laughs> so, um, creativity and endurance uh, those are the most important things i think
2: very nice then we move on to the most important question of this podcast because in the end this is a food innovation podcast and everything that we all the guests and all the questions in some way they are related to the food system so here it goes bim What is your favorite food? Slash, dish, slash, yeah. The question is as broad as you want.
1: Wow. I think uh, Asian food I love most. Uh, Yeah, I like most uh, Asian food with a lot of uh, fish. Well, well, like uh, also with, with, uh, I love fish very much. So, uh, like sushi, maybe uh fresh uh, well you know uh, how you call it raw raw vlees raw vis herring herring in the netherlands uh, but uh yeah yeah i love that
0: thank you for this thoughtful for conversation a lot of insights that you give not only on your personal life but also on your well you pursuing your companies and uh being as the leader you are today and i think your underlying mission and vision is uh inspiring for and needed sure with your future look on having this company and this whole setup that you're creating also implemented in the countries that are well in your eyes also needed the most and it was a true pleasure to have a talk with you and i wish you all the best thank you very much it was a pleasure